0: Now, plugged
1: in to the Delphi podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Delphi podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy, and I help lead Delphi ventures as well as host some of the most in the weeds and thought provoking guests across crypto, spanning layer ones to DeFi, NFTs, and beyond. The goal is to have fun, but also to dive deep and offer foundational episodes on projects and founders. Also, check out our research on Delphi Digital or miss out on the most compelling research there is. It's up to you. As a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Delphi Ventures may hold tokens mentioned, so check out our transparency page in the show notes for more info. With that, let's dive in. See you guys on the other side. Before we jump in, we'd like to thank our sponsors for making this episode possible. Kava is a cross-chain DeFi platform that gives you the ability to earn more by connecting the world's largest cryptocurrencies, ecosystems, and financial applications in one safe and seamless integration. We're excited for the upcoming launch of the Swap Protocol, a cross-chain AMM liquidity hub bridging DeFi, blockchains, and financial services to swap the world's largest assets and maximize yields across your entire portfolio. Swap will join the Kava Protocol and Hard Protocol as the next application built on the Kava platform. Celo is a mobile-first platform that makes financial dApps and crypto payments accessible to anyone with a mobile phone, providing the opportunity to positively impact the users of 6 billion smartphones in circulation today. Celo's eco-friendly proof-of-stake consensus mechanism, an ultra-mobile light client, makes up to 17,000 times faster than other blockchains and accessible to mobile phone users around the world. Visit Celo.org to learn more. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Delphi podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I help on Delphi Ventures, Tom Shaughnessy. I'm here with my co-founder and partner, Medio DeMarco, who's also our head of research. We're thrilled to house Yuri and Ellie from Starkware. I'll let Medio give a brief introduction of himself, and then we'll go to Yuri and then Ellie. Yeah.
2: uh, Thanks, Tom. Uh, This is a podcast I've been looking forward to for a while now. Uh, Quick recap on myself. Uh, I come from a traditional finance background, having worked at Bloomberg and Deutsche Bank. Uh, Caught the crypto bug back in 2017, and then uh, left my old banking job in 2018 to co-found Delphi with my partners, Uh, and it's been a wild ride ever since.
1: Love it. Yuri, you're up. Uh, So um, I've
0: been an entrepreneur for the past 20-some years, Um, have known Ellie for uh, longer than most of you guys have been around. Um, And uh, late 2017, Ellie said, let's do this. And so uh, here we are.
3: I love that. Ellie. what about yourself? Okay. So I've been uh, doing research on the kind of technology that we ended up uh, using since uh, roughly 2001. Uh, First uh, within academic circles, and then uh, started moving more towards blockchain. Um, I caught the blockchain bug in 2013, Um, was a founding scientist of uh, Zcash uh, around 2015, and um, this technology... Um, Starks that we're using in Starkware. We we developed it uh, shortly after, and uh, that's the basis for our company.
1: I like that. It would be helpful for the listeners who aren't up to speed on Starkware, I guess for a quick or a brief introduction before we dig into the nitty-gritty. Not sure who wants to take that one, but would love a quick elevator pitch to get people up to speed a bit.
3: I, I, can, I can take that. So um, you can think of the blockchain as this uh, computer that everyone wants to use. And it runs at a pretty slow speed. So like think of the early computers of the 80s or something. Everyone wants to use it. So it gets congested and getting it to run your transaction is very costly. Uh, what we do is uh, speed up this computer. That's when we're thinking of it. And the way we speed it up is that we, instead of asking it to run your transactions, you know, uh, mint your favorite NFT do your latest uh, trade on some automatic market maker, instead of asking this very slow computer to do that, we are asking the slow computer to verify one of our proofs, one of our start proofs. And the magic of the technology is that this proof is exponentially smaller than the amount of computation that it asserts to. So basically we now have this very slow computer that everyone loves verifying a proof that attests to... Tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of transactions with the same level of security. And that's how we speed up the blockchain.
1: It's a great overview. It it sounds so simple, right? Like you make it sound like it's it makes so much sense. But the work and the math and the developer activity that has to go into making something like this work is extreme. Can you guys give us a brief introduction on how long you've been working at this and, and just how complex the math and the code is behind this?
3: Okay, I'll I'll take this one. So we've been at it for four years. We're now a team of uh, nearing 60 um, and, uh, you know, like very brilliant and hardworking uh, folks that are in the combination or have the unique combination of being very strong on the math and cryptography side, but also being very, very good engineers and, you know, researchers and product managers and things like that. So uh, four years, a team that grew up to uh, 60, there's uh, a very, very deep technological stack behind it. But um, part of the the achievement that that uh, our team has reached is that all of that is now sort of abstracted away through an interface that is very easy to use and program in and, uh, you know, deploy on. Um, so...
0: Yeah, I want, to quote, this magic. I want to quote this anon on the uh, Starknet Discord yesterday, who said that the captcha is harder. To, verifying the captcha is harder than picking up Cairo. And I, I, now, a that's a cute quote, but b it also goes to sort of sh- I, we've put an awful lot of effort into trying and you know in wrapping this very sophisticated, very very cutting edge math in cryptography into tools that uh, any developer can use.
1: So when when a developer is working and they want to build on Starkware, do they have to know both Cairo and East language or can they use one or the other? I'm just trying to get a sense of the hurdles there. Cause if Cairo is easy to use, that's fantastic.
0: So Cairo over the course of time is becoming increasingly more powerful and, and higher level and easier to use. Uh, So that's one thing we're hearing over and over again from from developers. Uh, The NetherMind uh, folks have put together a very powerful team called Warp, and they're developing um, a transpiler from Solidity to Cairo. This team is led by Greg Vardy. Uh, It already supports general computation. Within a couple of weeks' time, we expect them to announce that it supports uh, composability. Okay. So now developers have both these tools in their hands and they can pick and choose what they want to, what they want to use fundamentally and probably in the long term, writing native Cairo code will result in more performance code. Okay. One comment that's worth uh, sort of emphasizing in this context has to do with the uh, pre-existing solidity code that one would consider porting over to layer two. And uh, the important thing to understand there is that the the, the 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 interesting stuff and the important stuff has nothing to do with syntax, solidity syntax versus Cairo syntax. The main point there is that those solidity contracts on layer one were written under a very particular uh, set of con- computational constraints, and that is Ethereum's uh, gas limit per block. And so people devised all sorts of very clever and very sophisticated schemes to live under this extremely low glass ceiling, okay, and built AMMs and took great pride in the fact that between version 2 and version 3, they've cut gas costs by 20 or 30%, etc. Now they're suddenly offered to move to layer 2. Now, moving over to this open field, computationally speaking, into this green open, vast open field, moving over with sort of the same set of constraints that you lived under uh on l1 makes very little sense and uh the, sort of the prime example of the folks who realized that early on and acted on that realization is dydx they did not repeat did not take their layer one logic and just uh translate it to Cairo. instead they sort of started from a blank sheet of paper and they said what is that uh application we would have built you know starting afresh And that is what they built. And the result is not only a far more scalable system. We're talking there about 600 gas per transaction on Starkex. They were at two to 300,000 gas per transaction on layer one. So the result is not only a fundamentally more scalable system. It's a far more sophisticated and capital efficient financial tool.
2: Mm -hmm. You brought up uh, a few good points there that I'd like to kind of dig into a bit more uh, because they're really big differentiators for what uh, Starkware's L2 can offer versus, uh, you know, the field. One of them being the complexity of the computation that's involved. You know, one sector that this has clear utility for is gaming. Uh, could you maybe just speak to, you know, how, you know, new game studios and existing ones are working to deploy uh, game logic on top of StarkNet?
3: Yeah. I mean, there are, there are a number of um, projects that have already, uh, announced uh, that they're doing this. Uh, Influence uh, is one of them. Just yesterday, um,
0: there's there's a podcast the, going on right now. Uh, right, Influence. we, so we made have
1: to podcast. Oh, ho-
0: exactly. Hosting Louis Gutman, uh, our ecosystem lead, to talk about uh, about this.
3: Right, the, as we're recording this, we recording this. And and the uh, what's what's nice about gaming is uh, and Starknet is that uh, when it comes to gaming you really want a little bit more you know, computation to be done during the gameplay. And uh, as we said earlier on, uh, Ethereum and blockchains are like this very slow computer. And the one thing that Starkness is, is doing far better is speeding up computation. So uh, we're going to see a lot more of that and a lot more games uh, deploying. Mm-hmm.
2: That's great. Uh, and the other point uh, you'd mentioned, Yuri was just the cost of transacting and, You know, I think one of the, you know, the secret sauce, if you will, to what makes uh, Startware unique is that, you know, it kind of benefits from economies of scale where the more transactions that are occurring, the cheaper it gets for everybody. Could you maybe speak to that point? Because, you know, I know that I know that is very unique relative to other layer ones or layer twos where, you know, as more transactions flood in, uh, everything kind of worsens, whereas that's not necessarily the case here.
0: Yeah. So, so first of all, sort of right off the bat, just to quote some numbers. What I'm quoting here, this is not crypto Twitter. This isn't uh, a spreadsheet. This is uh, reporting from the field, live from uh, Ethereum mainnet. So, so rare and immutable are minting batches of 600,000 NFTs uh, in in Validium uh, data availability mode, meaning with off-chain data, at less than 10 gas per mint. Okay, now this is twenty thousand times uh, cheaper than what they used to do on layer one, so that's sort of like right off the bat the basic functionality. Now, what we are saying, uh, uh, media, the the, the 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 exactly to your point, there are fundamental economies of scale that follow directly from the uh, uh, basic capabilities of the tooling that we've uh, developed. In uh, first and foremost, here is Cairo, uh, our Turing complete uh, programming language. And uh, this allows for a service we call Sharp, which is Shared Prover. And Sharp is now in production serving the same instance is now serving uh, uh, Immutable and Serbere and Diversify and StarkNet itself. And uh, we hope to bring DYDX on board soon. This, uh, we, we intend to actually put forward a proposal to the DYDX uh, uh, community uh, to, 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 to motivate this. Sharp basically says the following because you end up essentially irrespective, because it's logarithmically uh, 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 cheaper to exponentially cheaper to verify a proof compared to the sort of the computation that you're proving off chain, you have a very strong incentive to create uh, very sizable proofs for, for, for huge computations. So your proof, instead of a testing for Tom's application with his transactions, and for Ellie's applications with his transaction, what you could do is in fact create a single proof that attests to both or to any number of applications, it's disparate applications. You have no need to synchronize amongst them. They have completely independent logic, etc. Now, all these proofs are now bundled into a single proof, all these applications are bundled into a single proof, and this one proof is now verified in one go on-chain. And so immutable, so rare, diversified today are splitting their gas costs on layer one. What does this mean? This means that if Medio is coming in with his new game and he has like 20 users a day, okay? From day one, from the very first uh, proof that is generated to, to uh, scale his application, he's already writing on the marginal cost of the entire Cairo ecosystem, okay? And that's a very powerful network effect.
2: Absolutely. You know, funny enough, uh, when we started Delphi back in 2018, one of the first reports we did was on zero knowledge proofs and, uh, you know, Starkware was one of the projects we focused on. And uh, one of the aspects we covered in there was just that, you know, we don't have to get into the, you know, the deep technicals of everything uh, and all the different uh, flavors out there uh, that zero knowledge proofs, you know, manifest themselves in, but a Stark proof is the biggest one of, of the field. And, you know, b- that, that, that being used to batch, you know, a few transactions doesn't make much sense but to your point about you know you know uh the proof size growing logarithmically as you you know pack in more and more transactions exactly. uh when you yeah when you're batching and trying to compress an entire off-chain ecosystem uh that's where it really shines and, that, and that's power uh, it's a really powerful thing to offer because um again it, it is unique
0: and and users at the end of the day the only thing they care about the only thing they should care about is the amortized gas per transaction because you know, that's what they're going to incur on a personal level.
1: Absolutely. Guys, just to, to Menio's point there, like, what is the implementation speed for onboarding dApps new users? Like, you know, getting a DYDX involved, you said that they kind of went back and wrote their new code. What exactly does that look like time-wise?
0: So, so let's, let's uh, pick on Sorare, for example. Sorare went from, uh, sort of, you know, from, we went from a handshake to Ethereum mainnet in uh, less than two months. One and a half engineers from Sowear. Now we keep saying this to Pierre at Sowear that that's one very powerful engineer, but you know that's one engineer. So that's uh, sort of in terms of StarkX. StarkX now has an open access playground; anyone can interact with extensive documentation. Uh, and so onboarding now is, I think, is a very straightforward thing. On the StarkNet front, we're seeing things that frankly blow our minds. Right, I. I uh, and also, and I, you know, I keep tweeting about it because the the most exciting thing for me is that people are doing things that we never imagined, and uh, and there the permissionlessness of it is just just shines and and it's all all its beauty. So so this very talented guy with a brilliant handle, Guilty Gyoza, you know, started proving all sorts of physics simulations over Starknet, you know, and I think he I. I think a cu- literally a couple of weeks ago, I don't think he knew Cairo. Okay, now Sean Han uh, tweeted out t- today that his Darknet JS framework you now has a hundred downloads and three contributors, and he didn't know Cairo two weeks ago. So the whole thing is happening super fast. I mean, it's it's like it's literally unfolding in front of our eyes right now.
2: Those uh, uh, tweets from Guilty Guioza, those are uh, really interesting. They they came up on my feed as well. Uh, Truly just fascinating stuff. And the speed at which these people are, um, you know, learning Cairo and, uh, you know, starting to deploy, I think that's something that's really surprised myself over this past year. Uh, if you rewind to Q4 of last year, uh, you know, you had optimistic roll-ups in one corner, you had ZK roll-ups in another corner, and, you know, both had their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you know, you can make a good argument that ZK rollups were, you know, a, a better long-term solution for a variety of reasons, but near-term might might have some trouble getting traction, just uh, being, you know, they were expected to be more difficult to build on and migrate over from uh, Ethereum layer one. But, you know, fast forward to where we are right now, you know, the optimistic rollups haven't really, um, you know, they were supposed to have an easier uh, path to, you know, gaining adoption, building on, and that hasn't, they haven't really run away in that regard either while at the same time, you know, Stark, Starkware already has, right? You look at DYDX and the, the transaction volume they're processing. So moving forward, you know, I'd be curious to get your thoughts. You know, how do you see what you're building stacking up, not just to optimistic rollups, but also other layer ones as well that could offer, you know, strong uh, scalability uh, and benefits as such? Um,
3: I want to say, first of all, uh, you know,
2: um, I
3: have a lot of respect for the... Um Optimistic roll ups for optimism and arbitrum. I think they're doing a terrific uh, job, but the inherent theoretical limitations of of the optimistic roll up technology are such that um, um, you know it reaches more you know lower scale than what you can get with uh, with an uh, with, a, with a ZK rollup It's it's you know I'm sorry, but that's you know the math and uh, what we see playing out is exactly this thing so I mean I'm eager to see for instance uh, Reddit rolling out on an Arbitrum and, and I, I just want to see what kind of scale they'll be able to do. I think it's going to be a tremendous challenge to reach the scale that Reddit needs with uh, the kind of technology that is optimistic rollups uh, whereas you know, I'm very confident uh, in, that uh, with the ZK rollups they can do far greater scale. Again it's not just because we have, optimist, you know, CK rollups, it's rather because we think it's a better technology that, that we're using it. Now, to your question of, of just looking ahead and where we're heading at, we know that this technology, because it delivers both a scale, sorry, delivers integrity, which is vastly needed in our world. And it delivers it at tremendous scale and um, it can also give you privacy um through the zk aspect is something that the world needs and it needs it not just in blockchains it needs it all around it needs it within the context of citizens versus their governments and uh with respect to you know the way we deal with our own data we need to be the source of uh truth we need to own it back again and not have these big you know uh data guzzling corporations that are holding all of our data and profiting from it and it's 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 clear in my mind that, that ZK Starts and the way we made it accessible for developers and for the world is going, to be, uh, is going to play a pivotal role in sort of this transformation of basically giving back ownership of your digital life to, to yourself, to the citizens out there. So it's not going to stop at Starknet and, and L2 for Ethereum. It's going to be a technology that's adopted farther and wider within the context of, for instance, CBDCs. And I think at some point there'll be calls from, you know, governments and societies to use this kind of technology in order to empower citizens and society and decentralize a lot of the way we interact with, you know, healthcare, COVID, uh, contact tracing, um, all sorts of things that are outside of blockchain.
2: Absolutely. Um, And I think that's an important point to stress, you know, the scalability that, Starkware offers, it's, it's more than just DeFi, NFTs. There's so many applications that, you know, haven't even emerged yet that uh, can benefit from it. One, uh, you know, when you, when you mentioned the word integrity, one synonym that came to mind, uh, was validity. And I think that's also something that is a strength of what you guys have built. Um, you use validity proofs, right? When, uh, that proof gets posted on the L1 and it's, you know, it's good to go right away. There is no, uh, you know, uh, game period where you have to, you know, challenge uh, potential frauds, you know, it's just, it's correct. Uh, And that is kind of like the magic math behind how ZKPs work. Um, And it has its benefits, right? You know, if you're on a ZK roll-up on Starkware, you know, there isn't that seven-day wait period that uh, uh, systems built using fraud proofs kind of have to deal with. And and from a UX perspective, uh, it can be really smooth. By the way, it's
0: not only UX, right? It's interesting to see how the whole blockchain space. And, and you know, I I understand the motivation. It's early on. It's a nascent ecosystem. But all sorts of considerations that, you know, uh, in the real world, and on Wall Street would have been like an immediate sort of end of discussion. You know, in the context of blockchain discussions, we're sort of kicking the can and saying, well, you know, the one week uh, uh, withdrawal uh, uh, period. Um, and the capital efficiency that that sort of uh, implications of that uh, delay, we're just going to sort of ignore that for now. It you know in steady state it cannot be ignored, meaning someone has to pay for that, and uh, it ends up in some way or another being the end user.
1: I think the community building aspect you guys mentioned is important. Like you know, Yuri, you mentioned earlier that you're seeing kind of unforeseen use cases, but it's not just it relying on you guys building this out right i mean for disclosure we're investors in immutable and dydx but i mean immutable is built on starkware and they have gods Unchained, they've Guild of guardians and i mean they're essentially operating of uh, they essentially built an operator layer on top which allows but, kind of developers core access and it makes it much easier to onboard how do you think about other platforms or projects building on you which is greatly and kind of increases your kind of target market here
0: so yeah i i think that's a super important thing in terms of of making this uh, technology broadly used, and we sort of share the story, the experience we had with TikTok a few weeks ago. They reached out and they said we want to mint our you know our first NFTs, and uh, well we have tw- twelve days to go was uh, what they said, and we put them in touch with a remarkable team at Immutable, and um, and they got working, and. Um, you know, the first uh, TikTok NFT was auctioned off for about a hundred thousand uh, dollars a couple of days ago. So you know, so Immutable I think is one example of sort of a very powerful sort of extension of the capabilities and value of of, uh, of this uh, software stack. I should also mention in this context not only the people building on top of our software stack, but in fact building with us this software stack, and specifically. In the context of StarkNet, um, this is an ecosystem. And so there are two full node efforts going on for StarkNet full nodes. One is the powerful Aragon team, who are building Fermion. And there's the uh, Equilibrium team building another full node. We mentioned the Warp team at Nethermind. Nethermind are also uh, developing a block explorer for StarkNet. Uh, There are multiple teams ramping up their uh, code auditing capabilities to be able to audit Cairo code. Um, The figment team who are uh, going to be providing API services. So, you know, there's a whole eco. it, it, it does indeed take a village and, uh, and we're happy to be part of that village.
1: No, that's, that's phenomenal. Is is it kind of surreal for you guys to see TikTok like a one of the most addicting and well-known platforms using you guys. Like, did you envision that when you guys got started to have this level of uptake right now?
3: No, but uh, it's it's uh, concretely very helpful because my kids finally they don't understand what we're doing, but they finally have some respect for uh, right because TikTok is using it. So
1: yeah, no, it's now they. It's interesting to see <laughs> what um, just zooming out on the adoption spectrum. What would give you guys? a level of accomplishment one year from today, looking at Starkware's uptake? Like, what do you want to see ported over? What do you want to see built? Or is it more of a question of, you know, let's find out?
3: I think, uh, it's, uh, first of all, it's definitely let's find out. Uh, I think that the things that a year from now we'll see as being very successful in Starknet are things that uh, we can't really predict. And that's the fun of it. Uh, The one metric we're most interested in is is basically volume of of computation. Uh, We're already tracking it, you know, the amount of computation that our systems can support, the latency, the amount of usage of proving. That's really our core metric that we're tracking. We're already very happy to see, you know, our effective TPS as we're speaking now is far higher than Bitcoin and Ethereum's right now. And it's taking just a, a very tiny fraction of Ethereum's bandwidth in terms of gas, and it's going to grow um,
2: by a few orders of magnitude. So this is the thing we're looking at and tracking. Absolutely, and there's a uh, you know thing on the horizon that's going to make it even cheaper uh, outside of what you guys yourselves are building, uh, and that comes down to um, you know the data itself, uh, hosting it off chain, hosting it on chain, um, you know, with the transition from Uh, The current state of Ethereum to ETH 2.0, you know, one aspect of that is sharding the blockchain. I believe first up is sharding just data storage uh, in the most basic sense, uh, which is a great benefit to you guys, right? Like you're posting big proofs that are compressing, you know, tens of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of transactions. um, And now there's more on-chain space, uh, you know, to to post that to. Uh, You know, how are you guys thinking about uh, data availability, sharding, and also you know this might be a good way to a good time to transition into the difference between uh, True ZK roll up and uh, Polydium.
0: sure so so uh, may, may, let me say a few words about data availability so we really think and we 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 described it in those terms over a year ago we think of it as a very rich design space sort of as a spectrum so on the one on the one end is uh, roll ups with uh, data being on chain that's of course the most secure that's also the most expensive so that's those are rollups and Starkex operates in rollup mode. DYDX is using Starkex in rollup mode. That's their choice. Starkex also comes in Validium mode where data is stored off-chain, and a, a, a set of validators sign per batch that they have the data off-chain that maps to the current commitment of the of the new state of the system. And absent those signatures, that batch cannot be set as uh, valid on-chain okay so uh that is validium what was interesting to see with uh uh, folks who are using validium and these are at the moment are rare and immutable and diversify is that um they i think were deliberating up to the very last moment whether they want to run in validium mode or in roll-up mode and uh to us that's an indication that there's you know, aside from the sort of the, the the pontifications on crypto Twitter on on what is the true cause and what isn't the true cause and all that stuff, there's the real world and real considerations and users and costs and, uh, and, and those trade-offs. And those deliberations are real. Now, what we've designed in the process is uh, something we call volition. And volition is very interesting because it basically moves – the decision from the application to the user at the single transaction level and this is coming on to mainnet in i think less than four weeks uh with so rare and immutable and so with volition users can choose for example if you have some very valuable nft and you want that on chain it's more secure etc you're willing to incur the transaction costs etc that's your decision you have a bunch of other nfts that are not worth as much you want to keep those off chain that's perfectly fine. Something appreciated in value now you want to move it on chain? No problem. I want to stress that this is not only for NFTs, right? Uh, let me describe another use case from the fungible sort of from, from the DeFi space. You're a high frequency trading firm. You come into the office on a Monday. You want to trade, you know, a ton of times uh, throughout the day. You don't want to incur those uh, gas costs, so you do this in validia mode or, you know, off-chain. At the end of the day, you put all your data on chain and you're good to
2: go. That And that is a point worth reemphasizing. It's not the applications that are choosing, you know, the security of the uh, the mode they're operating in. That That is being given to the user themselves. Exactly. Uh, and that's really powerful.
0: Exactly. And w- w- we will see very soon, right, whether uh, folks are, um, you know, what are they willing to pay at what price points? Uh, we will have a very beautiful experiment sort of unfold
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and this is a a good point to ask a a question that i've been dying to get an answer to uh even though i've seen some some uh potential answers in the twitter comments so the difference between Validium versus uh, zk rollup zk rollup more secure uh, all around but uh and Validium uh, less so but the trade-off is that Validium should be cheaper is it correct that recently the ZK roll-up transactions were actually uh, cheaper on a gas uh, basis uh, individually than the Validium ones? And if so, how is that possible?
3: Right. So, so I actually posted a riddle about that. Um, how could it be that in roll-up mode there was uh, there was uh, lower lower uh, amortized gas cost than for the um, uh, Validium? And the answer to that riddle is, so the theory still holds. For if you take the same system in the same uh, pattern of use and the same size of proofs, Validium will be cheaper amortized than, than Rollup. Okay. But what happened there is that uh, the DYDX system is the one running in Rollup mode. We are using for it much larger batch sizes. So uh, the amortized gas cost goes down as the batch size grows. That's factor number one. And the second thing is that when you use a, a validity roll-up, um, as opposed to, for instance, an optimistic roll-up, the data that you're rolling up is only the final state diff. Now, what does it mean? If you have uh, a small number of accounts that are doing all of the trading, then it could be that the state diff, which is the part that goes in A roll up on the chain, whereas in Validium it doesn't go on the chain, that part becomes very small. Let's take it to the extreme example. Uh, each batch in DYDX is 12,000 transactions. If all of those transactions were touching just two traders, the even though it's a roll up, the state diff would only touch two, you know, would be very short because it would talk only about two cells. Again, this is something that in an optimistic roll up, you would still need like 12,000 you know, signatures and witness data. So those two factors combined, the fact that there were very few accounts that did a lot of the information and that uh, the proof sizes in the roll-up mode were just happened to be larger. That's how you got to that anomaly
2: that uh, amortized gas cost in roll-up was lower than in Validium. Uh, that's great to know. When I had first uh, seen that tweeted out, I was impressed, but also Befuddled, I was like, "How, how is this possible?" But um, your point, and I guess to phrase it a different way, uh, when you're saying you're just posting the state difference, uh, you're, you're essentially just netting it all out and just posting the the net difference there, right? Instead of you know taking ten thousand transactions Precise. and all those signatures, all that data, you know, you're just doing this is the net between these two. Uh, here you go. Exactly.
1: Yeah, guys. Switching gears a little bit, um, you guys are obviously in the limelight as one of the most critical and important pieces of technology building on Ethereum right now. So of course you're going to attract a good class of smart cr- critics. What do you think is the most legitimate critique of Stark or Starkware? And I guess, what would your response to that be?
0: Um, I think the most um, important critique has to do with sort of the the nature of, of cryptography, which at the heart of it is, um, it's, it always sort of puzzles me and amazes me that at the heart of it, it's faith-based, right? So so the strength of, of the hardness of hashes is something we we believe in and we have sort of cumulative experience suggesting that it is safe and secure. We don't know for a fact. And I think that the the most sort of succinct and intelligent presentation of of that case was made by David Vorick uh, when he presented at Sarker Sessions a couple of years ago. And he said, uh, you know, guys, this is all very new stuff. Uh, all these uh, zero knowledge proofs, and in sort of a historical perspective, that is true. It is new stuff, uh, and uh, in that regard, the uh, assets we have locked, the almost billion dollars that we have locked up in Starkex, is an open bounty program, like just like any other smart contract, right? And so all these things, uh, people's confidence will increase over time. What's important to appreciate in the context of our cryptography is that, and Eli is a far better and more eloquent uh, uh, explainer of that, is that we rely, in fact, on far leaner and far more battle-hardened assumptions than uh, the other uh, zero-knowledge-proof systems that uh, folks are trying to sort of uh, develop these days. Eli, do do you want to sort of...
3: I want to also um, try to answer this question. I want to say, yes, there's a lot of uh, critique and good, good criticisms. And, um, I mean, we, we like that we, and we take them very seriously and we try to address them. So like one thing that was, that was said about our technology is, first of all, you you know, you need to be Starkware in order to build or understand this technology. And, um, we, we listened to that. So, you know, Cairo, Starknet, they are answers to this very valid criticism, Another thing that was leveled at us again it has a lot of strength is that, um, you know, like only Starkware is like you're this, uh, proprietary corporation and, uh, you know, how are the masses going to use it? And again, Starknet is exactly a reaction to this. And just to make it very clear, Starknet will be, uh, decentralized and, uh, anyone will be able to run provers and sequencers later, uh, you know, like let's say within, nominally one year from today or even less. Uh, And this is, again, responding to this very valid criticism of, uh, you know, we can't have it that you guys are the only ones uh, running it. Um, And, and of course, there's the very valid criticism as to how do you know that the, um, you know, that the stack is, is, uh, you know, sound from a cryptographic and uh, code-wise point of view. And that's a very valid concern. So in addition to the more standard things, such as doing uh, code audits and training people to be auditors for the new programming language of Cairo, which is something that we're proudly doing with with several teams, we did another thing that I I hope other, uh, you know, authors of cryptographic protocols would do, which is we went through a very serious auditing of the math. We proved via uh, proof assistance uh, that, cairo and its set of constraints is actually sound that's actually a topic that you know there's a white paper on that and we'll discuss it on our next stark at home uh which we're right now advertising so we're going these extra steps to address also the validity and soundness of our tech stack
2: that's that's great color and and this is a conversation i've had uh as well uh talking about you know the Starkware stack and all the different pieces the prover component in its current state, you know, there, I believe there is just one entity generating the proof and posting that on chain in the future that's going to move towards decentralization, which, which will be uh, great. Um, and then, you know, that's a point that gets brought up uh, by, you know, the other side. And my response is always, yes, that part, you know, isn't in the ideal state yet. It's going to get better. But at the same time, if you look at all the other benefits you get, right, it's still a net positive all around, right? It's not custodial. It's uh, got the base layer security. It's it's orders of magnitude more scalable. You know these attributes, you know, make the current you know trade-offs that have that have been made and, and very reasonably so worth it. And then yeah, the shift towards decentralizing Starknet and all its different forms uh, will will be uh, you know something I'll eagerly watch on that front.
3: Yeah, regarding the provers, I just want to say we open sourced already one prover uh, within ETH Stark. We strongly support. All of the other efforts that others are doing, you know, to working towards uh, writing starts. There's the Winterfell project under Facebook Novi, led by Bobbin. The the MIR protocol folks are also working on on various components. They just published a beautiful implementation of uh, this very new result that we have of ECFFT, elliptic curve FFT. Um, the Hermes team are you know, um, building and and starting to work on on things that are related to Starks like Fry and so on. We strongly support that. And we will also release uh, more code, including provers for folks to use.
1: When do you guys think, I mean, building on Medio's point there about, and your guys' points on how battle-tested this will be, eventually people will get to a point where the developers you guys as AWS, right? They come to use your product suite, they build out an application and it's built on Starkware. So nobody really thinks about it. It's just the industry standard. When do you think you guys will get to a point where people don't really care about the code anymore? They don't care about the math. They're just here to build. I prefer
3: Ethereum, by the way, to AWS. So just like, I mean, Ethereum, you know, how do you know that Solidity and the EVM and everything is sound, right? At some point, you you know, you, you reach a level of comfort. Uh, I think that? pretty much there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're pretty much there. I mean, we're, we're not being asked too many questions these days about the soundness of, of the core technology, but uh, I don't know, it's going to take a bit more time maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, every year that passes and more volume accrues and there's no fundamental
2: bug or problem, I guess, sort of bolsters this uh, position. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about forward-looking plans here. And, of course, in crypto, you know, we've, we've experienced so many delays, so many setbacks um, in terms of, you know, scaling plans specifically. Uh, but, you know, one thing that stood out to me uh, when I was reading through, uh, you know, recent posts from you guys is that certain aspects have been ahead of schedule. And that's, you know, unique. One uh, one such thing was composability. I know that was, you know, a year ago levied against Starkware as a criticism that, you know, composability within the ecosystem would be a challenge. And here we are, uh, you know, that should be coming very soon. Uh, you know, and it's already arrived. Could you maybe speak to uh, to that point?
0: Yeah, I mean, we announced the StarkNet roadmap in January. By June, we were already on a public testnet with uh, su- supporting general computation in a permissionless manner. Uh, StarkNet on testnet today supports composability, has on-chain data, layer one, layer two messaging, basically has all the components of a permissionless network, and that's the StarkNet alpha that is coming to uh, uh, mainnet in a few weeks' time. Indeed, months ahead of time. I think this sort of goes to to a couple of things. A, we've spent a good number of years uh, developing a very powerful toolbox and uh, very talented uh, folks have been developing this toolbox. And so now that it's available to them, uh, they can move very fast. And the other thing is sort of, uh, there's a culture at Starkware that that, uh, we're proud of. Uh, We take our deadlines very seriously. And so just in terms of ZK rollups being um, with a permissionless uh, public testnet for months uh, supporting general computation, uh, I believe there is no one else uh, who falls uh, under that category. And, and that's something we take great pride in.
1: One question I had for you guys was uh, in building a community, it's it's a little bit harder when you don't have a token because it's harder for people to conceptualize You know, for me, if I'm building on ETH, hey, I have 10 grand, I have 100 grand, I have a a clear link, an economic link. For you guys, it's a little bit different because um, projects can build on your tech and that's basically and and be successful through their own token. And that's their link through on being on fantastic technology. But there is a little bit of a gap there, I think, or maybe I'm just viewing it under a retail or investor lens and I shouldn't be. What's your take on building a community without having a token?
3: Um, On token, I'd say uh, no comment and on building a community without a token, um, um, you know, Starkness is going to launch in in a month. There's no token on it in a month. We're optimistic about uh, its adoption
2: based on what we're seeing now. But let's talk again in, let's say, three months, four months and see where we're at. Say no more. Uh, So one question I've had, you know, looking at the Starkware ecosystem, it's still very nascent, uh, but you have some core primitives in place. You have Diversify uh, for Spot Liquidity. You have DYDX for perps, Mutable, NFTs. I guess, you know, what use case or application do you guys think, you know, this is your pitch to the builders out there listening to this uh, to this podcast? You know, what application do you think Starkware needs? uh, You know, that would be a game changer for the ecosystem that's missing currently.
0: Uh, so on Starknet itself, I, I think there there is uh, a bunch of stuff that folks are actually talking to us about in the context of DeFi. There is a bunch of things that people are trying to do uh, on the gaming front, which I think is just absurdly exciting uh, because unlike, uh, uh, well, maybe I don't know if unlike, but anyway, it's fundamentally different from from uh, the gaming world as we know it, and that um, and sort of I think that's very exciting. On the Stark Stark X front, uh, in a few weeks' time, we're bringing DeFi pooling to market. And I think that's a very, very, very interesting use case. And I expect other uh, applications, uh, other than Seller, uh, who are bringing this to market, Seller Network, uh, we expect other uh, applications to adopt this. And DeFi pooling is a very powerful uh, concept that I think addresses the the huge limitation put in place by layer one transactions in terms of allowing the long tail of retail investors to tap into this opportunity, which is otherwise permissionless and very exciting and open and borderless and all that. And yet it has these crazy layer one transactions, which are basically limiting this market to uh, the quote unquote whales. So what is DeFi pooling? DeFi pooling allows users to exist on layer two. DeFi remains on layer one, where it was sort of born and where a lot of exciting stuff is still being built. And DeFi pooling essentially allows for the pooling of demand from uh, inv- from users uh, for various DeFi uh, services on layer two. And from there you launch, think of it like a shuttle bus uh, or a commercial flight as opposed to uh, a Stream. A shuttle bus that goes from layer two to layer one, whatever, to ave or, or Compound or whatnot, transact a single layer one transaction representing a very large set of users, and then coming back with those proceeds to layer two th- to be distributed trustlessly to users. Now, this this is uh, a, a very exciting because it basically shields users from layer one uh, transactions.
2: And. Would that have privacy benefits as well for those individuals or is that you know that, not really part of the feature set? I,
0: that's, that's an interesting point, right? That, that um, in this regard, uh, people would have greater privacy than they would have on layer one. So it's not privacy from, say, the operator of the DeFi polling service. But uh, unlike uh, your transactions today on layer, on layer one, uh, these would not be documented there, right? There would be a single whatever, $10,000 or $100,000 a transaction going to Ave representing, who knows, 500 users. Uh, and they've pulled their demand
1: on, uh, on layer two. Guys, switching gears a little bit, um, just curious do you guys have any interest in attracting the traditional gaming franchises, the Call of Duties of the world, to something like Sarkware? Or are you kind of more interested in like the new creative kind of crypto native games being built?
3: Yes, very much so. Very, 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 very interested.
1: Is there any blocker to attracting traditional? I, I guess it's more educational than it is tech or onboarding at that point, right?
3: Conservatism on their behalf, and also I think um, no. I'm, I, I, the, the we spoke with quite a few of these, uh, you know, traditional electronic gaming companies, and among those who have expressed interest and appreciation for blockchain, there's also this uh, issue of. Uh, you know, regulatory and compliance that uh, makes some of them uneasy and worried and uh, slow to move. Um, but from our point of view, we, we have the scale and capacity to service them. So we'd very much like to do that. I,
0: I, I want to point out that in addition to that, I think there's, you know, these franchises are extremely profitable franchises and then these are massive cash counts. Now, bringing this to the blockchain space, means going from an, a closed economy, a game economy, to an open economy. Now, how that affects uh, the distribution of wealth in the game, user demand, etc. I don't think that's 100% clear to these uh, uh, game studios. So you see all sorts of stuff like doing these on a private blockchain, which is essentially a closed ecosystem right? that sort of completely defeats the purpose. So I, at the end of the day, I think that what's going to happen, and that often happens, in various markets with various technologies is that the innovation, the massive innovation, like the breakthrough stuff is going to come from new teams building new stuff. And the big boys are going to follow the lead uh, once they see what succeeds and what doesn't.
2: This, uh, you know, at that point was essentially the conclusion we reached um, back in the spring. When we did a uh, post focused on different NFT scaling solutions, comparing uh, you know what Immutable was offering on top of Starkware versus Polygon versus Dapper um, and a few others, and that you know that was the takeaway for brands that you know this was one of the few places where it could meet the scaling needs that they require. Right, if you're a mainstream brand and you have million millions of people around the world that you know want to interact with this, the private blockchain solutions just simply don't have the throughput potential. You need to even be an order of magnitude higher than that. And and in that regard, um, Starkware is you know essentially in a league of its own uh and that's hard for them to add later on right like it's core it's fundamental to the the network design itself you, you know
0: yeah you can't just slap that on at the uh at the last moment yeah it just goes yep. to the heart of the whole thing yeah yep
1: guys it's not often we get both of you guys on a podcast so i'd like to reminisce for a little bit you know you guys are at a critical point where you're live people love you guys they're building just to think back over your journey i guess I guess what were the biggest learnings or hurdles each of you had in this process, right? Like, what advice could you give a founder building something as complex as you guys as, in, as and as impactful? Ali, we'll go to you first. I feel like you're ready to go. No,
3: I was just thinking. I don't know, like uh, put sunscreen or one of those. Uh, I, I I'm blanking.
0: Sunscreen, sunscreen is important, uh, certainly for Ashkenazi. Sunscreen.
3: Uh, okay, I'll, I'll just say, but again, it. Uh, okay if you're in uh, I was just asked by uh, an academic, like two days ago about like, uh, you know, um, there was this nice result recently research and like, how do you start playing with commercialization? And for that, my, my tip just was that, uh, you know, the way at least it worked for me back as an academic was, uh, okay, take your theoretical work and maybe find someone or try to program it. And just to make it also, uh, from the paper onto this thing but that's not that relevant for um you know for probably for your listener base i would say um pick um good uh uh, co-founders and teammates so i mean you know i uh, we i obviously feel i made a mistake here but with this guy but you know learn from that uh it goes
0: back to the (laughs) age no just joking (laughs) (laughs) i don't know
3: yeah there's so many like uh there's so much on the internet and how to do Things well. Um, I, I, try to enjoy it. I, I think. Don't
0: know. I mean, one particular challenge that we're seeing has to do with uh, sort of that there's the tokenomics uh, sort of create this uh, uh, fog of war, and crypto Twitter is also a tremendous source of noise. It's also a tremendous source of value, but it's a tremendous source of noise. And being able to sort of th- see through all that clutter. And say, you know, this is real. This is built. This isn't this. This is crypto Twitter. That wasn't. That was deployed on crypto Twitter versus that was deployed on mainnet. Um, being able to see through that and being able to say, well, you know, all that adoption is is driven by by sort of uh, the shit coinery around that, whatever it is. That's important, and it's not easy at times because uh, you know it takes time for the dust to settle. So I think being slightly older and uh, knowing one another, going back to sort of our formative years, this goes—you know—this relates to a bunch of us at Starkware. It helps to sort of uh, manage all that. Uh, that that signal.
3: I want to add another. I want to add another tip that I think is especially important to founders in the um, in the crypto world. So we 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 meet a lot of teams where the story is something like this: they had a really good idea and they were you know three um young buddies from whatever college or somewhere and 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 you know and then they started working on it and they're really happy being these three buddies uh that know each other and then suddenly it just succeeds so it's ballistic and the sort of scaling is uh you know building like a robust uh team with planning ahead and people with experience uh, managerial experience and so on um i think you want to do that early on and factor it in um, because otherwise, I mean, we meet all of these teams where you see that they're like in thrashing mode. Uh, they, everything's going tremendously well, but they don't have the mindset and capacity to expand beyond the three to four buddies. And, uh, and so maybe that's one tip. No,
1: that's great. Great advice. Oh, sorry. Yeah.
2: That's uh, that's sage wisdom. Uh, and that's something, you know, we went through that those same growing pains as a company as well. Uh, you know, starting a small group of friends and then expanding over time, um, scaling. You know, so far this conversation is focused on scaling the tech, but I think ending on scaling the human side of things <laughs> is a, is a good uh, 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 note to end on. It's
1: a great point, Benio. Uh, Yuri Ellie, it's been incredible to have you guys on. We're obviously huge fans of Starkware and everything you guys are building, and uh, just shout out for all the hard work you guys have done. Is there any way that, um, or what's the best way for uh, people to get involved with Starkware? And I guess what are you looking for? Maybe, maybe developers, projects. Where should they go? Who should they talk to?
0: Sure. So I, I would sort of uh, split it across. Uh, sort of, you know, if you're mostly a reader, uh, Starkware Ltd on Twitter uh, to read what we're up to. If you're a writer, uh, namely a coder, uh, and you want to build, uh, go to our Starknet Discord. Uh, the link can be found on the uh, Starkware uh, Twitter handle on my Twitter handle um, so uh, those I think are the two sort of uh, focal points uh, for information and interest and in meeting other you know, like-minded people uh, building teams and all that
1: I love that. Yuri, Ellie. thanks so much Medio, our head of research, thank you so much for coming on too guys. It's thank awesome. you for having
3: us Thanks Tom, thanks Medio
1: Before we go, we'd like to thank our sponsors for making this episode possible. With a proven track record of delivering products safely, the Kava platform is DeFi's most trusted, scalable, and secure institutional-grade cross-chain engine. In addition to the protocols Kava and Hard, the Kava platform is launching Swap Protocol, a cross-chain AMM liquidity hub bridging DeFi, blockchains, and financial services to swap the world's largest assets and maximize yields across your entire portfolio. Try for yourself or learn more today by visiting kava.io. Celo is an open platform for mobile first DeFi with a vision of bringing decentralized financial tools and services to anyone with a mobile phone. Eco friendly, Ethereum compatible, and governed by Celo holders, Celo's proof of stake consensus mechanism and automatic daily carbon offsets make Celo the world's first carbon negative blockchain, offsetting over 2,200 tons of carbon to date. To learn more about how to lend, earn, and stake with Celo’s growing family of platform-native stablecoins, visit Celo.org today. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode. Out soon.